You're listening to Sarah Hagen backstage with interviews and insights from years inside the music industry. Join Sarah as she talks with masters of their crafts, finding out what makes them tick both inside and outside of the music business. Welcome to Sarah Hagen backstage. My guest today, Stanley Randolph, is the drummer for Stevie Wonder, and he is an incredible producer as well. He has played and toured with many other top acts, and he's working on his own projects now too. We talk about all of these things, and he gives some great advice and words of wisdom. So come along with me as I catch up with Stanley Randolph. Stanley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Sarah. <laughs> a, an imaginary audience. Yay, woo! <laughs> um, right. It's so, so great to see you. It's been an awful long time. Yeah, it's been a minute, man. It's been years. It's been years. Man, the pandemic and everything that went by has been some time for sure. Man, the last time I saw you was in Austin at a New Kids on the Block show. At the Garden? At the Garden. Yeah, big show. Yep, yep, yep. yep. I don't even know. I don't even know who we were who we were um, touring with, but that's their hometown. So, you know, they're going to do. Oh, actually, we we usually do the Garden and we do Fenway. Yes. Well, it was was it Fenway? Was it Fenway? Maybe it was Fenway. I can't remember. Yeah, because you brought me a whole bunch of new symbols for that show and it rained. And it rained, which is funny because the two the two times I saw you play with New Kids on the Block at Fenway Park, it rained both yep, times. It rained both times, yep. I right. Mm-hmm. And the first time was I think maybe like one of the first times we met, and it was way, way back. Mm-hmm. And you were so you were touring with New Kids on the Block. And of course, like I'm a child of the 80s. So <laughs> I was like prime age. Being in Boston, being like 10 years old when the, you know, the new kids on the block craziness started. And yeah. so for me, I was like reliving my childhood by coming to the show. Um, and so like, you know, a little bit starstruck, but trying not to be. And you, <laughs> <laughs> and it was back in the day when like we used to actually take photos with cameras, right? Like digital cameras. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I was, mm-hmm. you were on, um, you were like on a platform on the stage, like a raised mm-hmm. kind of platform. And I just remember yeah. there's actually a picture, I'll try to find it, but it's a picture of me taking a picture of you and you are on your platform during sound check. It's raining. The stage is super slick and I'm like precariously like hanging out over like <laughs> trying to take pictures of you and i was just like one of us is gonna fall off this thing <laughs> oh man i remember i remember both those shows because one of them i had dreads and then the yeah. other one i didn't yeah that's around the you time did. i cut my dreads off too yeah yeah you had a whole different look and uh, yeah a whole nother vibe yeah a whole nother life and like what a cool gig though like you know boston band fenway park mm-hmm super cool and then the second the the last time i saw you right it was that tour where like paula abdul was was opening and yeah all i can remember is um i can remember thinking like how much of a trooper she was because it's pouring rain she's like in full hair and makeup with these gorgeous outfits and she's out there like dancing and singing it's raining and thundering and yeah (laughs) 
amazing. I remember, I remember that. Right? The new kids totally took advantage of that, of that setting for sure. You yeah. Know, the whole epic moment, the whole show was like an epic moment. It was epic. It was epic. And the yeah. energy too, like that always fascinated yeah. me too, that amount of energy. And then they it got some of the, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, they got some of the greatest fans I know. <laughs> I mean, really, right? I mean, they're the fans are are loyal and mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so excited. I know, like whenever whenever they would come to town, it would be like all, all my girlfriends, like a frenzy <laughs> to get tickets and mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But it was really nice because you know through you. Um, you brought Elijah Wahlberg to the Zildjian family, and you know yeah. we got to know each other, and then. That episode of Wahlburgers happened, which was super fun um, yeah. in 2016. So there are a lot of fun things that happened out of that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was great. Yeah, it's awesome. Sure. Um, but let's let's go back in time a little bit because I want to hear about you. There's, I don't know a lot. I mean, we've been friends forever, but I don't know a ton about like you growing up in Tennessee and. Um, mm. I know. So, uh, were you in Nashville or Memphis or both? I can't remember. Um, I was in Memphis majority of the time. I didn't really live in Nashville, but traveled there a lot, definitely um, for work. Um, but mainly lived in Memphis for sure. That's amazing. And did growing yeah. up in Memphis did that? Um, you know, what what kind of music were you listening to? Did that kind of like shape your musical style? Um, Memphis is a good start it's a good stumping ground it's, it's very disciplined um a lot of the music i grew up on of course was on the church scene i definitely started in church like most drummers do um and also a lot of the music memphis is, is, is very old school even still to this day like they play records and perform records in all the clubs and bars from the 70s uh, 80s, because you know you had Al Green, you had Isaac Hayes, um, even uh, some of the members from Earth from the Fire came from Memphis. Um, you had a lot. BB King, you know, he's the number one blues guy. Mm -hmm. uh, you had you had a lot. You had a lot of a lot of talent and a lot of soulful music. And R and B and you know, blues, all that came out of Memphis for sure. So I listened. I, I grew up on a lot of that stuff, uh, which was actually, you know, it, it works for who I am now as a drummer because, um, you know, when I was younger, I used to kind of make fun of <laughs> some of those songs and stuff like that. I'm like, oh man, you know, I used to joke around and play like how some of the drummers used to play back in the '70s and '80s. But now, you know, I'm on a gig where I kind of have to play that vibe anyway so it worked out that's awesome it's kind of kind of yeah. full circle for you full circle yeah definitely that's so great so you so you started like playing drums on the church scene and all of that yeah um mm -hmm. and was that like did you just gravitate toward the drums or well, yeah actually because you know um for a long time neither side of my family uh was musical i was the only the only child, the only one uh, in the family that did anything music-wise. My mom would sing a little bit. She didn't sing that much. Um, of course, she sang in the choir, but um, um, yeah, I was really the only one who had a musical background in the family. And I think my mom told me what, what really drew me uh, to the drums was, it was the only thing that would keep me 
um, quiet in church. It was the only thing that would keep my attention because I was a little bad kid. I was trying to <laughs> run around and play the whole time. But whenever um, there was a guy I looked up to as a kid, um, his name is Frank Black. Um, he was the drummer of that church. Um, and any time that he would start playing, I would go sit on the front row and I would just be like watching him in, in awe. And I couldn't wait till the service was over because he would always let me come up and sit on the drums and just bang on it and kind of, you know, it really just had my attention. That's so, so that's great. how I got started, yeah. You just, you had a lot of energy. You weren't a bad kid. You just had a lot of energy. <laughs> a lot of energy. I had a lot. <laughs> A lot of energy. A lot of energy. But you know what? You put it to good use, right? You, you put that behind what you do. Definitely. Definitely. I put it to great use. So, it just, you know, it blows my mind. I, you know, over the years now, recently within the last five, six years, uh, I have a little bit more background on where, like, my musical talent um, family-wise kind of comes from. And it's more from my dad's side. Um, I found out that I'm, me and, um, Robert uh, Robert C. Wright Sput. Yeah. Um, we're related. We're cousins. No way. Yeah, on my dad's side. So my dad, you know, has a side of music I you know I didn't know about, you know. So yeah. But that was cool to find out. So you know, I kinda got, you know, figured that out and said like, where does this whole vibe and this talent, you know, come from? Besides God, of course. But as yes. far as the family, where does it come from? So that was cool that's amazing. Out. That's amazing. A lot of people like, you know, they'll they'll go into one of those um, DNA 23 and me or whatever it is and find, <laughs> out, and find out their heritage and like you right. found out your musical heritage. So that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it was cool. Super cool. Um, and so so you ended up you're in Memphis, you're playing drums, you're playing in church. And how did you kind of like break out into the world of touring drums and all of that stuff? How did that work for you? Well, it's, it's I'll make the long story short. It's basically, um, I started off with this band in Memphis. We called ourselves New Genesis. Um, basically, me and some of the members, we've been knowing each other ever since elementary school. Um, we all went to elementary school together. We went to middle school together a little bit. Um, we kind of lost contact in high school. We all went to different high schools. Um, but my senior year in high school, I changed schools, and we all ended up linking back up. So um, I'll never forget, we um, we were doing, like, jazz band for the, for the high school. <clears throat> and we had a gig at the carnival. The fair, the fair, the kind of a one of those. Uh, we had to, we had a gig with the school, and one of the companies that had a tent at the carnival, they enjoyed the music we were playing at the school. Uh, I mean, at the at the carnival. So they asked us to come back later that night to you know be the entertainment for their tent. So we all decided to do it. We you know grabbed some equipment, went to the tent later that night around seven, and we played to like ten. 10 or 11 when the carnival closed. Um, and we were really just a bunch of homies uh, doing the whole jazz band thing. And we uh, decided to turn it into a band. So like all of my, the rest of my senior year and all of my college years, I played with this band in Genesis and we made quite a name for ourselves in Tennessee, in Memphis, Tennessee and other cities, you know, in the Southern area, Southern district. So. Um, 
basically we all played at some different churches, but sometimes we played at churches together. Mm-hmm. Um, and once, um, well, actually, we also, yeah, we also played for, we ended up being the band for Isaac Hayes. Oh, wow. So Isaac Hayes, uh, us playing for him, he brought us to LA, to California, to do a gig and to visit. So we kind of saw California a little bit. Um, but w- what really did it was we was praying with this church and this church came to visit California um, to visit another church. So uh, we had a few days out here to kind of like, see the city and I'll never forget like the first day we got here we um we met Victor Wooten and Ricky Lawson and Jerry Brown all at this club in Santa Monica called Harvell. Um and literally met them that night at the, at the club, had a great time, you know, the next day Ricky Lawson picked us up in his uh Lex- Lexus truck and drove us around the whole city and showed us all of the dope little spots where a lot of celebrities and legendary musicians perform and hang out. And I remember we also got like some gigs just visiting, visiting LA. We was like, oh man, we got some work uh, just coming out here. So once we went back home to Tennessee, we had done all the gigs that come through the city with different artists and everything. We felt like we had hit a peak. We had a, we had a feeling in the city, so we wanted more as musicians and as a band. So randomly, we took another trip. I remember it was just random. We were all just kicking it. We had this little friend house, college house called. We called it the five. Um, and we were all just hanging out at the house one morning. And we was like, bro, we just got to go back to LA, man. It was just like, you know, we met so many people. It was dope. We even got gigs. And so literally the next day, this was in October of 2006. Um, the next day, we just rented a van and just drove nonstop. It took us like 26 hours. We drove. We all took shifts. We drove nonstop to get to LA. Wow. And we came and we just kicked it for like two weeks. Um, us and some other friends, some other homies, we all jumped in the van, came, kicked it for two weeks. Then we had to go back home to Memphis, of course. And once we got back home, we was like, you know what, yo, we, we got to move. In order to like really um get the gigs and get the type of work and the stuff that we're looking for it's in la we gotta move so january 2007 a few months later um yeah january 5th we up and left the whole band we all just left moved to la y'all and begin that whole journey of just like you know everybody um helping helping each other eat feeding each other um <laughs> I remember we all had to stay in a hotel room. We all had to like bunk up in a hotel room, man, for like a month. Maybe two, no, two months. We had to bunk wow. up in a hotel room for, for like two months. Yeah, because we didn't, you know, we didn't find an apartment yet. And, you know, you know, Memphis prices was different from LA prices, so we was still getting adjusted. For um, sure. But once we came out here, y'all, and we made sure that we was at every little gig or every little open mic, because um, you had Harvell's, you had BB King's and Universal City Walk, you had um, uh, the main club that really got us a lot of work, this club called Cozy's, which was in Sherman Oaks off of Ventura. Um, we was at all these different spots, Cafe Cordial, we was at all these different spots literally every day just showing people that we're in town, that we're a band, 
um, ready for work and this and that. And so uh, a couple of months into it, um, I remember we ended up getting uh, two gigs. We ended up getting Boys to Men. We did some tours and spot dates with Boys to Men. And we also did uh, a bunch of dates and tours with this artist named Percept Michelle. She was up and coming at the time. She had a hit record with Jay-Z. No, with Nas. Not Jay-Z, Nas. Mm-hmm. She had a hit song with Nas on at the time. She was up and coming. Um, we ended up working with her at BB King's in Universal City Walk. Um, and she loved the way that we learned our music and how we were already a whole unit. So she took us as we were on the road. And we toured with her and Maxwell and Common and a bunch of different other artists. Um, and then from there, um, our name, the name New Genesis was just going around the going around the city of LA and we all just started getting all types of calls. Like, you know, some, some of my friends was doing uh, Jessica Simpson, they did the Jacksons, um, wow. they did Prince. Um, and then of course, you know, I ended up with Stevie and I even brought one of my other friends from that band. He was a guitar player in the band. I brought him on the gig with me with Stevie. Um, his name is Kyle Bolden. Um, and yeah, from there, we just, you know, started getting a lot of work and so New Genesis made a name of itself. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I was going to ask you if you still played with any of the guys, and that's mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah, definitely. I still we're, we're all still very much in contact. Um, so we are we're all pretty much producers and stuff now. And we have a bunch of different um, other bands and artists that we uh, produce and work for and play for. Absolutely, that's fantastic. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned when you first went to LA and. Um, Ricky Lawson and I think you said Jerry yeah. Brown, right? And like, it's amazing because making those connections and helping you, they, you know, I'm sure that they help make connections for you. And now you're in that position, right? Right, exactly, right, exactly. I definitely uh try every chance I get to put any young homie or you know any uh inspiring musician that's coming up. Uh, I try to put them on, you know, so I'll give them advice. Let them know, you know, the sacrifices and the risks that we took, um, you know, because we wanted it that bad. So, like, nothing stopped us from making those moves. Um, and it put us, you know, it set us all up uh, in a great way. So a lot of young homies I talk to now, I know a lot of people are afraid to, like, make moves like that because you're basically moving to a, a whole area. And sometimes I know it can be scary when you're doing it by yourself. You know, luckily I was with a band, mm-hmm. so we all did it together. Um but I know some homies who wanna who wanna make their move, who wanna take their career to the next level. And, you know, making a move like that and being on your own in the whole other city. And, you know, LA is, is way more expensive than a lot of these uh, cities and states in America. So mm-hmm. I know it can be a little different. It can be a little scary, a little crazy. Um, but you know, I, I advise people to definitely take the risk and make the you know, make the move. Uh, wherever wherever you want to go, you don't have to be LA only, but you know, whatever you want to do, I would just, you know, take that risk to it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where you hear the stories of people really making it because mm-hmm. they did take that risk and you know, yeah. it's not easy. And like you said, you lived in a hotel room and you helped each other stay fed and all of that stuff. Yeah. But like, you know, yeah. but you like put, you put the time and the effort into it. And again, the making connections part, attending every little gig you could, taking what you yeah. could. And, you know, exactly. you, you worked hard for it, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, 
And I, I, it brings me to a quote. I just have to say like on your Instagram page, I love when you post these motivational quotes and, you know, I always like them and, and, but they, they mean a lot. One of the ones you recently posted was, um, do things you're a little not ready to do, right? That's how you grow and break through. Um, and that's exactly, that's a perfect example of it, right? Like you just had to do it, you had to take the opportunity. Yeah, totally, man. You know, it's, it's, it's there, you know, it's there. I know people who dream about it and, and visualize it and just really just put it into action. So sometimes it can be a little scary. And I'm, I still live by that rule to this day, because even just in my career, um, new levels and new opportunities that I'm um, coming across now, um, it's d- definitely in the producing world. Uh, I have to just live by that quote because I have to do things that I normally wouldn't necessarily do and sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with being a drummer so it's just like being ready and, and making that move so you know because you no know, hey it's, it's okay to um mess up and fail and everything you know i, I like to fail because it, it teaches me what not to do the next time or you know it teaches me what to do the next time to make it right you know what I'm saying? So, right it's all it's yeah. all a lesson there's a lesson all, in a failure. Lesson. all a lesson you know, all a lesson Absolutely. And I definitely want to talk about Stevie, of course, you know, um, you have been playing with him for years now, um, which is amazing. And you do more. So you're, you, you drum on the, on the tours and on the gigs and everything, but you do more than that with him. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, man, Stevie, he lives and breathes and eats music, literally. It's either music or his cell phone. <laughs> no, joke, no, joke. no, but yeah, he, he breathes and lives music all day long. Man. Um, so um, I've done a bunch of studio sessions with him. I've done a bunch of music with him. You know what I'm saying? I, I hope to one. I hope for one day that it comes out, or you know, or he decides to you know do something with it. Um, but mainly, you know, besides touring and, and doing gigs with him, uh, I spend a lot of time with him in the studio, definitely. Working on songs, and it's an unbelievable song. Unbelievable music that people will be blown away, you know, if they heard this stuff. Hopefully yeah. one day he releases some of it, because it's, it's magical stuff. That's amazing. So is it like a, a Prince situation where there's like a vault of music kind of oh, waiting? man, yes. I know. Ever since I started back in like 2009, 2010, around that time, um, I've been in sessions with him. After my first tour, after my first tour, we went on tour for three months in the States, and then we took a break for a month, and then we went on tour for three months out of the country. Um, And literally, like three or four days after we got back from that tour out of the country, we was in the studio with him every day for a month. Wow. and this is, you know, his older studio in Wonderland. So, like, yeah, all that music that we created back then, all the way up until this point now, um, you know, he has a new a new studio, a new spot now, and it's really, really dope. Um, and I spent a lot of time there over the pandemic because it's literally um, not far from my studio. It's like five minutes away from my studio. So it's nothing for me to just, you know, drive down there real quick and just kick it, hang out, or, you know, he'll hit me up and we'll vibe and create some stuff. So. Um, so I've, I've spent more time in the studio with him than than we have done shows in the last three years. Wow, that's incredible! Yeah. And you know, I you, dr- playing drums for 
a musician like that, where like you said, he eats and breathes and lives music. And he also plays many instruments. So like you're, you're being a drummer in a band where he's recorded a lot of drums and he plays as well. has to be like a whole different experience. It is. And, And I appreciate the experience because to even, have that trust from him, you know, because like he's a drummer himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he could easily play his own vibes if he wanted to. Um, sometime I would recommend it that he would do it because he is a vibe in himself. So, but you mm-hmm. know, I appreciate it and I'm grateful and thankful that he trusts me to come in and put down my ideals as a drummer and sometimes more than just a drummer as a producer, you know what I'm saying? To give because I play more than one instrument as well. So, sometimes to give my ideas and he vibes with it, you know, he goes along with it. It's, it's a dream come true. That's so great. That's so, so yeah. great. You know, people ask, um, what, what's your favorite concert that you ever attended? I get that question quite a bit. Um, Man. and I always, I mean, I have a lot of, a lot of concerts that I love. I love music, right? So I love, yeah. I love any live music. I have to just mm-hmm. preface it by saying that. Um, and there are some concerts that have stood out to me as being uh, moments where I was just blown away for one reason or another. But you came to um, Great Woods in Massachusetts okay. years back with Stevie and Fausto um, yeah. on percussion. And I came to see you guys and bring you some sticks and symbols or whatever <laughs> playing and um we had a great hang before the show and stevie came out took pictures with everyone i still have that mm-hmm. photo which was such a great memory and then the show was incredible what i, I and i you know musician wise and just everything about it it was so so amazing and yeah. then after the show backstage and I've told this story a few times because it was so moving um, and emotional, but the, there was a, there was a young boy backstage after the show. And I don't know if you remember this, but he was, um, he was, I, I, I'm never sure he was, he was deaf, I think, and blind. Um, And he didn't, and he didn't speak, but he played Mm -hmm. piano. Oh, and wow. Okay. So he was playing piano and humming. Um, and, you know, his parents were saying how, like, he feels the music and the vibrations, and that's how mm-hmm. he knows what to play. So he was playing Isn't She Lovely? And he was humming the words because he doesn't speak. And Stevie came out and started playing with him. And wow. we were just, everyone was crying. Like, it was just a backstage full of people bawling, wow. you know, because it was. Wow. That was like, at the meeting grade. It was, yeah, wow. yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll never forget that moment. It was, it was really, really like life changing just to see this young boy, like how music and this music in particular had given him hope. And you know, his his parents were talking a bit about about yeah. his love of the music, and then to see Stevie come out and play with him, and I, I was just like, I'll never ever forget that moment. It was probably like in i don't even know 2008 maybe nine i don't know but oh probably was around the time I, yeah it had to be around that time because i had just got the gig and that's i know i remember you coming to that show um because that was very also fairly new to the zildjian family at that time too so yeah um, it definitely had to be around that time for sure 
That's crazy. I didn't even get a chance to see that kid. Man, I didn't, yeah, because after after the show, sometimes we would just go to the band room and decompress. Yeah. Because his shows, <laughs> his shows were so, you know, lengthy. And it was so much material and so much vibe and so much stuff happening. Because he had like three and a half hour shows. To, yeah. that's, and that's the amazing thing in itself, to do three and a half hours worth of music and every song is almost a hit, you know. That's that's a lot. That's amazing. It really so, yeah, is. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to see the little kid, though. But I do yeah. remember... I do remember a kid that was um, blind definitely coming and playing piano. I do remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that you were, um, I think you were back in like one of the rooms. Um, But like, I can't, I can't even imagine, like, let's talk for a minute about the the three hour shows. And I know you guys (laughs) had like epic, epic rehearsals too, because actually no oh no that's what everybody no that's what everybody thinks man this gig and that's one of the reasons i love it it's 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 so free it's such a free gig you know um it's really like you have to have the respect for the music yourself stevie kind of leaves it open for you to really like you know take it upon yourself to learn his material of course if it's something that he really wants to hear played right he'll tell you the right part but for the most part he kind of leaves it open and everybody on that stage just has that type of respect for him to be like, let me go do my own homework and, and play this stuff right. Um, That's amazing. So we don't, you know, I can really count. I can, I can really count on two hands uh, out of all these years, the times we've actually had rehearsal. Really? So, like, yeah, I'm dead serious. It's literally, oh we don't, because even when I first got the, the gig, you know, we went straight to tour. There was no rehearsal. We went straight to tour. It was really like, you know, learn as much song, learn as much music as you can. And, you know, he he would do a little rehearsing maybe in sound check, but even sound check, sound check was like a studio session. He was writing new songs and doing other stuff in sound check, you know, because it was like, you know my you know my music, know my music, listen to my music, learn it, you know. We're on stage, we're gonna perform it. I love you know? that. So like, yeah, we didn't we didn't rehearse a lot at all, which is I, I think that's what makes it even that much better because every show is not really the same. You know, we might start the show with the uh, with the same song, and we'll end the show with the same song, but everything in between, the rest of the the two and no, the rest of the three hours and and twenty minutes, it's all just like whatever he pulls out of his hat. Wow. So you just have to be ready for anything, basically. Ready for anything. All freestyle. I love it. All freestyle. So, so great. And I I also love the fact that, you know, um, Stevie's such a fixture at events like NAMM. You know, like you just, (laughs) you know, and and like you said, he just, he loves music. And it it kind of like humanizes someone like him who is a superstar. He's a musical superstar, but like. I remember him coming to the Zildjian booth and wanting to hear what was new, right? Like what mm-hmm. new symbols do you guys have? And he wants to hit mm-hmm. them and hear them. And um, mm-hmm. there, I remember there was a drum kit on the booth once that he played and he was like, I want this, I want these drums. I want this exact <laughs> kit. Cause I really like this. And I, I don't, I don't remember what it was, but I do remember that. Cause it was like such a significant moment where he was yeah. like these ones. Right. And he probably definitely still has That's that great. kit. If you guys gave it to him, he definitely still has it for sure. Right. I mean, we must have, because I feel like if, if Stevie Wonder says, I want this kit, then you send it to Stevie Wonder. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Definitely. 
<laughs> so, so funny. Um, yeah. And I, and I, so, you know, you have this, this presence about you and I love, again, your social media stuff. I have to, I have to just point out, um, if anyone's not following you on Instagram, what, what, tell us your Instagram handle. Um, it's Stanley R. Randolph. Um, yeah, Stanley R. Randolph on, on Instagram. My middle initial R. Okay. Stanley so yeah. people need to go and follow you because you just post great clips. And again, the inspirational quotes are fantastic. I, sure. one of them, you know, lately, another one was, uh, learn to love the sound of your feet walking away from things that are not meant for you. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, right. yeah. <laughs> yes. But what's crazy is, um, man, a lot of these quotes, a lot of these quotes I've been getting um, that come to me, I get them from watching movies or, you know, or I might be talking to some homies or some just people I meet, you know, people I meet. If they say something inspiring to me, I'll put it in my phone, in my notes, right then and there. And I'll be like, man, thank you. You just gave me some wisdom. Like, I'm going to put that right? up on my page, you know. You want to <laughs> share um, it? Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, I, I want everybody else to, to feel about it how I feel about it. You know what I'm saying? It's going to touch somebody. So, definitely. Um, but, yeah, I remember, I remember, I can't remember what movie it was, but I definitely remember putting up that quote. And it was definitely from a movie. I forgot what it was. Though. It's a great one. I was like, yeah, that has to resonate with everyone. Everyone has found themselves in a situation where you're just like, walk away, right? Like, yeah, walk just... away, right. Um, you know, and so I just thought that was, that was fantastic because I think it, there's something about like, um, maturity and time and experience that lets you know when the right time is to walk away from something that's not right. Definitely. Definitely. Right. <laughs> I've definitely learned that lesson big time as I'm entering my, um, forties. I turned 40 this year, which Yay. is crazy, which is crazy to me. 40s are great. No, I know 40s are definitely great. I remember, I can't remember who said it. It, it might have been Diddy or Jay-Z or somebody I said, but they was like, yo, you, you actually do your best and, and you make the most money and you have the most success in your 40s because at this point in life, you you don't figure it out. You done made a whole bunch of mistakes. So you really know how to do a lot of stuff right yes. in your 40s. So I'm excited for my forties to get here for sure, you know, but it just, it just blows my mind every time. I'm like, wow, I'm here. I'm about to be 40. What in the world? I know. Four it's, zero. <laughs> it is kind of amazing, but I agree with that assessment. It's, it's, um, you know, a time where like, yeah, you've lived through enough to give you a good idea of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And, yeah. and then also like, there's a comfort level, I think with, yourself at that point mm -hmm. because you're not so concerned about what everyone else thinks all the time and exactly um, i have a friend exactly. who turned 50 and he was like when you turn 50 you don't give anything <laughs> you don't care you don't care about anything right. um Definitely. as far as what people think or all of that um but you know i i just think it's a, a great time so what do you think what is your plan for your 40s? What do you think will happen? What are you predicting? Man, well, you know, I'm I'm heavily, I'm, I'm heavily more in production world. Like I said, um, I did, I, you know, I gave a lot of my other gigs, like Christina Aguilera and Tony Braxton, uh, even New Kids. They're not really touring with a band. 
as much right now, but I do all their work, um, a lot of their work for live shows uh, in the studio with them and their other engineer, Crunchy. Um, I work with them in the studio for their live shows. So a lot of other gigs I do, I gave them away to my homies and friends because um, I wanted to be uh, more involved in the producer world and I wanted to be here for the opportunities because actually I got signed to Sony at a young age as a producer Mm-hmm. And I couldn't really fully um, experience the opportunity or enjoy it because I was on tour. Right. I was touring so much. So they would hit me up to be like, yo, we want you to go go in the studio with uh, 2 chains." I'm like, oh, man, I'm in Germany. <laughs> I'm right. on tour in Germany. But I get back in like two and a half weeks, three weeks. Can we set it up then? And, you know, they'll be like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll circle back. And when I would get back in town, man, it was like that opportunity that was right there in that moment. I just kind of passed by. So me being a producer, um, just being more on that journey of my life, um, I wanted to be more in the city. So I gave a lot of the touring gigs I was doing, I gave them away to homies and I let them do it because they need those experiences as well. I'd have been all over the world probably like eight times, you know what I'm saying? I'm on my fourth or fifth passport. Um, so like, you know, I wanted to, to get the experience and, and let their dreams come true. Um, and I'm following this whole other dream and being a producer and bringing up artists and creating my own music. And it feels better also too to you know make your own music when you tour the world doing your own music as well. So yeah. that's a whole new experience that I'm enjoying. So um, I think though in my 40s is going to be more more of that and it's going to be more of a success. I got a bunch of different groups and artists I'm producing that I put together, um, and they're all being successful in their own way, in their own route, their own pace. Um, so I'm enjoying all of that and I'm enjoying all of that stuff. So it's going to be more than in the 40s. And you know, one of my big goals is I'm going to win a Grammy for sure with one of these artists, if not all of them, you know? Yeah. So uh, that's I definitely feel- a big goal in my 40s is to win a Grammy for sure. I fully believe that, Stanley. 100%. It's going to happen. Big time. Thank yeah. you. That's exciting, though. I am so I'm just to like watch your evolution over the years has been has been really, really great. And I just I can't wait to see what happens in your future. Um, It's going to be dope. It's going to be dope. Yeah, for sure. And and also watching your style evolve. I have to mention that the style because you're always so stylish. And, you know, (laughs) look, I I got red hair right now. You got red hair. Yes, yes. Exactly. I, when, I think of you, when I think of you, I think of red. Um, for sure. Hey, that's my favorite color. Yes, of course. Yeah, red's my favorite color. Love the hair. And then you used to wear um, a really, really specific hat back in the day, oh, right? Yeah, I went through the, went through the whole hat phase. I, 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 I kind of chilled out on the hats because, um, man, they kept getting stolen. And those hats know. were not cheap. Those hats were like five, six hundred dollars each, yo. And I remember, like, I would wear them to gigs, and because I would sweat, I would leave the hat on my drums. Man, if we're taking a break in between, you know, sets, I would go use the bathroom, or go outside, have a smoke, get some air, and I would come back later, and my hat would be gone. That's not good. Like, oh my God. Yeah. So I have two of them left now, and I just choose when to wear them, you know. Or I wear them if I'm not gonna like play. If I'm going to an event just to hang out, then I wear it then, so that way I don't have to take it off or put it down. Because mm-hmm. um, I literally went through, I had six of them stolen. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so I was what? like, I gotta chill. 
that is a very specific hat. So I feel like mm -hmm. you could be walking down the street someday and like random person walks by with your hat on, you'd know. <laughs> probably so, probably so, man. But I, yeah, I used to get, I got it from this uh, exclusive guy in Hollywood uh, off of Melrose and he put me on to the hat and I just made it a whole part of my vibe and, and started um, yeah, wearing it. And, but now I, I chill out with it. I'm more with the hair, hair colors and, and, and other stuff now. So I'm just I you love know, it. enjoying it all. It's great. I love the red. You had green not too long ago, right, too? Yeah, yeah. I had a green. I did the whole tiger stripes and stuff like that. Yeah. My little Dennis Rodman wave. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but you can pull it off, though. It's great. It's For so sure. great. Thank you. Absolutely. And, and another thing I want to talk about, too, is um, you have a, a, a funk drums sample pack with Jam Card, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jam Card and Splice. Which we're, we're in the talks of doing another one, doing a new one. Um, I'm even thinking about adding my brother, Pastor Funk, to the whole equation um, to give him more than just funk drums. I want to give him, you know, funk samples, funk sounds. Um, uh, even probably bring some um, other musicians in on it with me to, to give him a whole spectrum of just like a whole funk vibe and what I'd be doing in the studio. So um, that's in the talks right now with uh, Jim Carter and Elmo. <laughs> so hopefully that'll be happening soon. Um, but yeah, and it's doing really well on Spice. We're still, I think I'm still number two within the Jam Card uh, pack. That's awesome. So a lot of people, I was really surprised. I'm not gonna lie, because I, I love Spice. I, I I use Spice, you know, in a lot of stuff that I produce. Mm -hmm. um, but I was surprised when I did my own pack and it went up. I didn't even think that so many people would be checking it out. So I was like, whoa. I guess That's people amazing. love it, so let's give them more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do more for sure. I love the idea of doing like um, you know, other instruments too. That's yeah. great. And who better to do it, right? For sure. <laughs> so I have I don't want I don't want to um let you go without asking for your advice for the next generation. Cause you you do, like you said, you pull up others with you you share gigs that you know that they'd be great for you bring them on projects mm -hmm. that you're doing and you're so great about that so so some advice to you know the 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 younger crowd out there who's trying to make their way in this crazy industry um one thing i would say is um and i know I, i've said this before but i know how, i think it's cool how everybody like sheds and practice together but I think it's even cooler when you do it alone because you um you figure out your own sound and your own vibe uh, when you're by yourself because it's, you know it's easy to practice and share with other people and get ideas and you know what I'm saying but uh, I think it was Dennis Chambers that said years ago the drummers in the world would be so much better and, and so more so much more better um if they just sat alone and created their own vibe and their own sound and, and had their own ideas and, and made that happen and then bring it out and show it to the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really definitely agree with that because I remember when I was a kid, when I did have a drum room, I, you know, I had a few homies I would share with every now and then, but I wasn't one of those guys that would really pull up to the shed. I was the guy that would be like, I'm going to go to my room and tune my drums a different way or set it up a different way or um, 
play with different loops and you know create you no know, at the time i had an mpc so i would make my own different little loops and stuff like that and and, and try to create my own sound so that way when people would hear me play or you can hear me on a record or you can hear me from afar and be like that's family right now i know that sound anywhere so it, you know that that has stayed with me even still to this day like i don't really share it with a lot of homies um and i know they probably all be like oh man yeah weird you know whatever but it, it helped me you know i really stuck with that when dennis chambers said that it really um it stuck with me and and i think it, it's been a part of me becoming who i am even to this day like even though you know all the gigs i do i do my research and i take little pieces here and there and i just add it to my vocabulary and i choose to put it out there to the world where you know it sounds like me mm-hmm. so that way you know if anybody else plays they'll be like oh man you sound like standing around there. You sound like Stanley Randolph. Yeah. You know you're never going to hear that Stanley Randolph sounds like this person. It's like, no. Right. That's right. Stanley Randolph. Yeah. So that's, that's the good. advice I would give the new generation. You know what I'm saying? Take some time to yourself and and perfect yourself and your sound and take the risk, man. Tune that drum different. Set that drum up different. You know what I'm saying? Play it different. Um, and, you know, yeah. That's the advice mm-hmm. I would give the yeah, do your own thing, go your own way, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's really, really great advice because you you know, like there are drummers out there where you hear them on a recording and you're like, oh yeah, that's Steve mm-hmm. Gadd, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's I, I don't know, it, Steve comes to mind, exactly. first, that's Vinny or that's Dennis or that kind of thing. Exactly. You do know. Exactly. Um, and and so, I, came up, I came up from that era. I came, I came up around that era when those guys were the, the young teens coming up, you know what I'm saying? I would really love to ask Steve Gadd, you know, if he practiced with other drummers or if he shared it with other drummers. I really think he would say no. I really think he would be like, oh, I practiced by myself. I was in my own room and yeah. I decided to play these grooves. I, did, I, you know, I created these grooves that made him Steve yeah. Gadd. Yeah, yeah. And you know who else too that comes to mind is Dave Weckl because he said of that too, like he was, he was just like locked away by himself, like, making creating his own sound and that's so that's pretty yeah. significant i like that and and I, I think that's also why he's a master engineer and mixer because they will go mixes and engineers his own music yeah his drums sound amazing mm-hmm. and his, his sound and the time you hear it you know that's their vocal yeah for sure yeah it's amazing yeah that's a great yeah. that is a great goal and I need to get Steve on this podcast and ask him that question. I'm going to do it. Please let me know when he's on here. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to reach out to him today and I'm going to say Stanley Randolph said. Hey, for real, let me know. He is a master for sure. I seen him once and I was, I seen him once with uh, James, what's what's the artist's name? James James Taylor. Taylor. Mm -hmm. And it was in Boston. Yeah, was it at Fenway? No, it was in, it was in Boston at the Garden. This is when they were at, was it the they had a tribute show or no um a charity show. It was when that event, the Boston Bomber or something had happened. Yes, the mar- marathon. Yep. Yeah, that the horrific event. Um but they had a show um and new kids left our we left our tour and came to the Garden to perform um for that event and Steve Gadd was there with James Taylor, and I could barely speak to him because I was I was such an awe. I was really in fan mode, and just to see his setup and everything, like the simplest setup, but yeah. it's Steve Gadd, man. Yes. <laughs> so I know. Like, yeah, but I, I you know, know. I, 
I have more, you know, courage and stuff now. I would definitely ask him, like, yo, bro, tell me, what did you do coming up? Like, what was yeah, your and he Right. He would be happy. He'd be happy to talk about it with you because like, you know, Steve um, is so humble and so mm-hmm. like, giving, you know, like he would, he'd just be happy to be asked that question and talk to, yeah. talk with you about it. And, you know, I, I say it often and I say it on this podcast all the time, but drummers are at the core so much like one another and mm-hmm. you know as far as sharing and being open and being humble with each other and i love that so yeah. much it's awesome. so good it's so so good um well we are excited to follow you on the rest of your musical journey i can't wait to see what you do in your 40s stanley and you're gonna win that grammy or multiple thank you sarah so. you're gonna be there you're gonna be there sarah you're gonna see i'm gonna shout you out yeah <laughs> <laughs> In my speech, I'm going to shout you out for sure. Can't wait. Cannot wait. And in the meantime, everyone should follow you on Instagram. I'll put all the links and everything in the um, YouTube description and in the podcast show notes so everyone can follow. Um, And I can't wait to see you again soon. For sure. For sure. We'll see each other soon. Definitely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. And you take care. You too. Bye. Thank you for tuning in today. Join us each Tuesday for new episodes of Sarah Hagen Backstage.